The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Genesis chapter 40, and, and while you're turning there, as I was doing some reading this week, I came across a, a, a commentator who made a comparison between Joseph and Jonah. And when I first read that, I thought, whoa, where is this going? But the more I read it and the more I began to think and meditate on this, I began to see a consistency that I think is very critical for you and I to grasp as we begin the message this morning. You know the story of Jonah. God called him and asked him to go, or didn't ask him, but commanded him to go to Nineveh and preach repentance. And Jonah hated Ninevites. And so he refused. Imagine that. He refused God's command. And so instead of going over here to to preach the gospel in Nineveh, he went down to the sea, purchased a ticket on a boat heading to Tarshish in the exact opposite direction. And he thought he was free because he was sound asleep in the hole of the boat when through circumstances, the Lord brought a very massive and destructive storm. So destructive that the sailors figured they were about to be lost. But the storm came out of nowhere, and even the the crew had an idea, somebody's God is mad. And so they cast lots to see who it would fall on, just as the captain retrieved Jonah from the hold of the ship, and the lots fell on him. And he knew immediately he was the cause. And so he told them to throw them overboard, and and they they didn't want to do it. They, They didn't want to just throw somebody over, but after a while, they realized they better do something. And so they, th- they threw Jonah into the sea, and immediately the water stopped. But the circumstances continued, because God had prepared a great fish that swallowed up Jonah, and for three days and three nights, he's in the belly of this great fish. And near the end of his time, he's crying out to God in repentance, and so the fish spews him up on dry land, and he reluctantly goes to Nineveh and preaches repentance. And people are responding to his message. And so he leaves the city and he goes and he sits on a hill to wait for God's destruction because surely Ninevites don't mean it. And he just knows God's going to rain down terror. So while he's sitting there, God raises up a gourd plant that covers and provides shade and he's extremely happy. But you know the story, along comes a worm eats it, and it dries up. He loses that, and just then a hot wind comes out of the desert, and he's angry. Every circumstance designed to bring Jonah to the place God wants him. Now, our friend Joseph has gone through circumstance after circumstance. He's been hated by his brothers. He's been sold into slavery. He's been falsely accused of rape and cast into prison. One man's circumstances totally out of his control. A second man's circumstances brought on by his control. One man running from God, another man running to God. But at the end of the story, in both men, God's purpose was realized. Now, here's what's so important for you and I this morning. You may be sitting here 
experiencing difficult times, and it's none of your doing. Or you may be sitting here this morning, and the difficult times are all of your doing. Maybe you've made poor choices. Maybe you've made mistakes, and here you are. And you know what's so important? Because if you're not careful, you will begin to say, you know, I got myself here. I screwed up. God's not going to bless me. God's not going to use me. But understand, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And whether you're there on your own doing or you're there on someone else's doing, God is working to his ultimate purpose. And it will always be fulfilled. So right at the get-go this morning, you and I need to really take a perspective of what's going on in this life and realize, wow, God, okay, maybe I'm not here, I'm here and I shouldn't be. Maybe I messed up. But what grace and mercy is, is that with the forgiveness you've given me and your death on the cross and secured me for eternity, I can turn to you and experience that grace. And from the earlier moments of Joseph's life until he reached the age of 30, God was at work in his life through a series of circumstances which eventually raised him from the status of an imprisoned slave to prime minister in Egypt. So let's just review the circumstances for a moment here. The first was the special love of his father, Jacob, which provoked the resentment and hostility of his 11 brothers. Certainly wasn't his fault. He was the son of Jacob's old age, and he was the son of Rachel, who he had worked all those years to secure for his bride. There was a deep abiding love, so naturally that offspring had a very special place in his heart. In Genesis 37, we read in verse 3 through 4, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully of him. Now that hatred would eventually lead to Joseph's being sold into slavery to the Midianites uh, through whom he would eventually find his way to Egypt. The second significant circumstance was his dreams foretelling the bowing down of his brothers and his family to him. And this was the chief catalyst in the murderous reaction of his brothers. And they said in 37 verse 8, his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. When the brothers finally fell upon him and threw him into the pit, it was expressly to murder him, to be rid of him once and for all. But once again, God intervened in circumstances, causing a caravan of Midianite traders to pass by. And of course, they wound up selling him. And as verses 26 and 27 said of Genesis 37, then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come on, let's, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. What a perfect plan. Let's not put his blood on our hands. Let's make some money off this guy. And they sold him away. 
through these selfish acts and chance occurrences, Joseph was brought to Egypt where God used him to save thousands of people from sure death during the famine, including his own family. Now, if you're a child of God this morning, and you know He is your Savior, the worst thing you can do this morning is walk out of here and forget what you've heard. Because all of us need to take an inventory of what's going on in our lives. All of us need to take an inventory of the circumstances that God is bringing us through, whether they're self-inflicted or otherwise, and begin to stop and look at what God is doing. And if we don't know what God is doing, at least we can know that He's working. And even though you don't see it right now, because of the Word of God and knowing the Word of God, you know He's working through you. God is never finished with any of us. If you're a child of God and you're spending eternity with Him, He doesn't leave you alone. He begins to work in and through all the areas of your life to make you into the man or woman He wants you to be. And if you're trying to craft your own life, if you're trying to make plans and you're leaving God out of it, Understand clearly what Proverbs 19.21 says. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Did you hear that? Do whatever you want. It is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. In fact, years later, when Joseph is prime minister and the famine causes his brothers to come, and they're reunited, and the jig's up. They're caught. They begin to confess. But in that time of confession, Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do you realize that whatever circumstance you're in or what anybody is doing to you that may seem evil, God is working it to the good. He's working it to the good. That doesn't make sense to our humanness. It doesn't make sense to how I feel. It doesn't make sense to what I see and what I want and what I perceive. But the reality is that a loving God is working in you all the time. And so Joseph, being a man of God, could say so clearly, look, I know you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And the evil you had in your heart, God used to put me in a place where I could save all these people. You are a tool of God. And sometimes when you're prone to be angry at somebody, consider that maybe God is using them in your life for a very express purpose. In Egypt, <clears throat> the in, uh, intervention of God in Joseph's circumstances continued. Because in a manner entirely apart from his own control, he was purchased by Potiphar. And Potiphar was the captain of the guard. And later, when he was falsely accused by his wife and had to be thrown into prison, he was thrown into the king's prison 
because Potiphar was captain of the guard. And that just so happens to be where the butler and the baker would be thrown in later on. All these seem to be evil circumstances designed for Joseph to be ruined. But God was still working. And even these downward steps were actually forward steps to the throne. Never let your stepping stones become marker stones. Because marker stones eventually turn into gravestones. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, Psalm 37, 23. Your steps are ordered by the Lord. So we come to Genesis 40, our text this morning, and we're introduced to the last set of circumstances that will take place before Joseph's exaltation. In Genesis 40, verses 1 through 4, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with him, and he attended him, and they continued for some time in custody. Just think of this. Joseph is at the lowest point in his life, at least from outward experiences, it would seem so. And we would say, if ever there was a man forgotten by God and man, surely it was Joseph. He's never going to come out of there alive. He'll never get to the potential that was intended to be. But God had not forgotten Joseph. And he now intervenes again by turning the heart of the king against the chief cupbearer and the baker so that these high officials would be thrown into the prison where Joseph was now running. And though it took several years, it was this that God would use to elevate him to be alongside Pharaoh. And get this, all of this was done for Joseph's sake. Can you imagine that? The scripture tells us that it was done for Joseph's sake. Hmm. Can you imagine sitting in the middle of your trial this morning and understanding it's for your sake? God is working actively for very expressed reason in your sake? What about you? Is God not working out the circumstantial details of your life? One commentator writes, God directed everyone from the king to the jailer as easily as you set a watch or wind a spring. How sinful, therefore, for the Christian to worry or fret. God moves the very stars in their orbits to work his will, and he rules the passions of men and their decisions of those in authority to accomplish what he has planned. And that's why we as Christians should never fret at the loss of a job, flat tire, illness, or whatever. Because God is God. 
And that's why we constantly bring up Romans 8.28. As Paul made it so clear, for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. Not one thing over here and, oops, I screwed up, so I've got to wait for it to come back. No, all things work together for good. Jonah committed one mistake after another, and yet God's purpose was accomplished. So let's look at more dreams here. Years before this, Joseph had dreamed, had dreamed dreams foretelling a time when his brothers and family would bow to him. But now we're told of a second pair of dreams. Both the cupbearer and the baker had dreams that foretold what was to happen to each of them. And the one thing we need to understand about these two men is they weren't just common servants. They weren't just a wine taster and a cook. They were noblemen of high station. They occupied high positions in the court of Pharaoh that were very important. In fact, when you read about these in the history, you find that they were used to bring the wine and the food that was offered to the Egyptian god Horus. So they would bear wine and carry the ceremonial bread to these ceremonies. So they were of high estate, high order. So the chief cupbearer tells his dream and Joseph gives him a great report. He tells him that there he's going to be restored and put back with Pharaoh. So at this point, the chief baker is encouraged. And so he tells his dream. But Joseph explains this dream by saying that within three days... Pharaoh would remove his head and would hang his body on a tree where the birds would pluck the flesh off his bones. We don't know what offense they committed. But Pharaoh chose to show mercy to one and destroy the other. So what's important for you and I this morning is to know something very critical. And that is to know and to know you know is power. To know and to know you know is power. What do I mean? Well, the emphasis on the text is not the psychological phenomenon of the dreams. The emphasis of the text is Joseph's interpretation of the dreams. And this is important regarding the interpretation of the dreams, both of the cupbearer and the baker, because of the long line of circumstances that Joseph had been through. All these years now leading up to this, circumstance after circumstance had trained Joseph to know God. It had trained Joseph to understand God. And Joseph knew God and knew that he knew God. He had such confidence in the knowledge of God that he fully believed and understood that God would give him the ability to interpret these dreams. Joseph knew that he knew. And as a result, he was not only wise, but powerful, powerful in prison. In fact, this is what made Jeremiah the most powerful man in all Israel, even when he was incarcerated. It's why King Zedekiah sought him out for his advice. And you see... Paul writes something in 2 Timothy that's very important. He writes in, ch- in chapter 1, verse 12, the second half of the verse, For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded, 
that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul knew God. And Paul knew that the faith he had and that he had committed to God, that God was able to keep that commitment. And so with great power and confidence, he walked through life, no matter what circumstance he found himself in, knowing that God was in control of all things. And that knowledge is power. That is incredible power. To know whom I have believed and to be absolutely persuaded that he's to keep me. That's security. So when you and I find ourselves in the midst of a very difficult trial and our heart is broken, we can look to him and know that he knows and that he's working. Nothing escapes him. No fear escapes him. Now, some of you may be here this morning and you just can't get over the hump to believe that God has it all covered. Joseph knew it was covered and he rested in that truth. And that's what made Joseph the man he was. It was knowledge of God and of what was right that made John the Baptist strong. Herod was king, yet Herod feared John. He feared to let him live and he feared to kill him. Knowing what he knew, knowing the gospel as he did, made Paul strong. Knowing gave John the evangelist his power. In fact, Martin Luther was strong because he knew what the word of God taught. Regardless of the opinions of popes and councils, he could, he could stand before men and testify, quote, Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. That's knowing God. That's knowing the scriptures. That's knowing the power of the Holy Spirit working through you and I to triumph over every situation. That's the God we serve. So let every believer understand that he is responsible to set forth this truth. Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote, quote, Today God speaks through his written word and the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to his own. And this is why we are to speak as the oracles of God. 1 Peter 4.11 In other words, you become a person who delivers authoritative, wise, or highly regarded and influential words in our care. And for us, it comes from the word of God led by the Holy Spirit. So when Drew comes up and talks about his Sunday school class, and the different Bible studies and the studies that we have, it's all so you can know the Word of God and can be free from the bondage that you're under and can know that no matter where your life is and what you've been through, God is leading and He will triumph. But what great power that is to know every day when you get up in the morning, God has got this day, that you can trust Him and know that He's working all things according to His plan. And even knowing, as the scripture talks, that before the foundation of the world, you and I were given works ordained that we should walk in them. So wouldn't it be easy just to trust him and let him have his way in our lives? That's the power he's talking about. In fact, 1 John 1 verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you 
so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Imagine that. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. You know why? Because we fellowship with God in the Spirit. Do you have fellowship with God? Do you have a relationship during the week that you live for Him because you communicate with Him? Do you have such a sensitive relationship that the Holy Spirit can govern and guide you? This is what he's saying here. We're proclaiming this to you so you can have fellowship with us, but guess what? Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That is true Christianity. That is what real Christianity is. It's not a knowledge, it's not a statement, it's not a church you go to. It is a relationship with the living God. And it's knowing His Word and knowing the Spirit's leading and knowing, as you know you know, that He has your life in His hands. That's the power of Christianity. So if you know the depths of truth, and you can, you are to speak with the final the finality of the true revealed word that the Holy Spirit teaches to each one of us. Now, there's a special lesson in Joseph's interpretation of the dream of Pharaoh's baker. The baker's dream was not favorable. In fact, Genesis 40, verses 18 to 19, he says, Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. You now see the courage of Joseph. Although it was difficult, particularly in a case where the interpretation concerned someone he'd probably gotten quite friendly with at this time, he was not afraid to declare the whole counsel of God. It was difficult. And you know, I wish every believer could grasp this truth. In fact, I wish every preacher could grasp this truth. Because I fear in today's Christian churches, many are ready to preach the butler sermon, but few want to preach the baker sermon. We are falling into a haze of political correctness, success at any cost, and it's costing the church the filling of the Holy Spirit. We have to preach the whole counsel of God. God is loving. He's compassionate. We need to be loving and compassionate, but there's coming a day of reckoning. And sometimes I fear we love people right into hell. They need to know the truth of the gospel. They need to understand that salvation is from the Lord. Now, we began the message by referring to Jonah. But if you recall, in Jonah chapter 2, at the end of his time in the fish, Jonah makes a statement that could easily be the theme of the entire Bible. Because he said in Jonah 2 verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is from God and God alone. And we need to spread the whole counsel of God. And this 
is exactly what we see in Joseph's story. Because after he had interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer, showing that he would soon be restored to his position, you remember last week we mentioned this briefly, he says to him, now look, don't forget me. You remember Genesis 40, verses 14 to 15. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here I also have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. I shouldn't be here. I did nothing to deserve this. I've committed no sin. It's not fair. Ever been there? But for Joseph, deliverance was not to come in this fashion. There was nothing wrong with asking for help. Certainly nothing wrong with that. Yet deliverance did not come through the grateful memory of a pagan butler, but by God in God's time. You see, God was working his plan, not Joseph's plan. And it was all about God's purpose in the life and in the history of this nation. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul reminds us of this in verses 19 through 20. He says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You don't belong to you anymore. When you came to Christ and repented of your sins and cast your life on Him for salvation, you now belong to Him. And God works all things through His own will. Because God has a purpose and you're part of it. And He is going to work in and through you to accomplish that purpose. So remember wherever you are, the patience that can only come through the leading of the Holy Spirit, that peace that passes all understanding comes from God. It only comes through surrender. But when you have it, you know and you know that you know that He is in control. And that will get you through any situation in life. As we go to the cup and the bread this morning, it's a beautiful reminder just what He did for us. He left the glories of heaven, died on the cross, paid for your sin and mine, gave us His Word, indwells us with His Holy Spirit, Because he has a plan. He has a plan and he has a purpose for your life and for mine. And it is a glorious plan. This we do as a reminder. This we do to remember what he did. In the Old Testament, they had sacrifices to remind them what was to come. Today, we have the cup and the bread to remind us of what he did. You and I have the glorious opportunity to be living in a time when, quite frankly, we got all the answers. We just need to implement them and let God be God.
So as we go and prepare for the cup and as the men come forward, would you examine your heart this morning in complete and utter honesty? Is he in control of your life? Have you committed everything selflessly to him? And are you trusting him in every situation? Let's pray.